0: The material contained in the Divergent Clear podcast is for informational purposes only. The ideas and opinions expressed in the podcast does not represent the views or missions of the National Rail Passenger Corporation or Amtrak or the Washington Metro Rail Safety Commission. This is the Divergent Clear podcast.
1: Approach Diverging, Milepost
0: 20.04. Diverging Clear, Milepost 20.06. Welcome to Diverging Clear, your transportation podcast, with your hosts, William Moore and Jermaine Walker. Welcome to the Divergent Clear Podcast, today's bonus episode. Today I'm joined by my co-host Jermaine Walker. His brother's been busy, ain't seen him in a couple uh, dozen episodes, just joking. But it's great to have you on the other side of the camera here, brother. How are you doing today?
1: Well, man, I'm good in yourself, man. Um, Yeah, it's been a minute. A lot has been going on um but I've been hearing your episodes man and let me tell you man it feels great to be back on here um we got some good stuff that you that we definitely want to cover man yeah I can't wait to dive back in man it's like it's like it's like new life today baby new life
0: sounds good man as I said it's great to have you back uh looking forward to our you know this is kind of our prequel to going into season two so you know let's go ahead and knock out this episode let's go ahead and drop some knowledge and some facts and some some very educated uh, opinions and theories, and let's see what we can do with this episode today. So uh, today our episode is going to kind of be off of the cuff just for the uh, people that's listening off the cuff discussions about uh, current news of railroading, transportation, and logistics. We'll bring up a topic and discuss for, we're going to go about five minutes on the first four topics. We're going to try to keep this moving and keep it uh, interesting. So about five minutes for the first uh Um, And that's all together between me and Jermaine. We'll both speak for about uh, two and a half minutes on each topic, and then we'll keep it moving. Uh, So with that being said, let me go ahead and uh, get our timer set up so we can stay on on point. And we'll hit this first number, this first topic. So here we go. Our first topic is going to be the recent announcement of the CPS uh, CPS. Canadian Pacific and KCS merger. This has been to say the least, one of the most dr- dramatic field announcements uh, with everything going on with this. I mean, besides the CN meddling and the things that's happened with there. Uh, just, just your thoughts on this, on this process moving forward.
1: You know, I, I like something that you said a while back, man. As as the railroads merged or something like that, man. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was hilarious, man. It, it, it's funny because at the beginning, it was originally CP and and KCS, and they had, you know, they were roasting marshmallows around the fire, campfire, and singing each other's praises, and then out of all of all of a sudden, Canadian National stepped in and said you know, yeah, I'm gonna uh, try and break up this happy home. You know, I just, we all knew, and people even out in the industry could tell you that Canadian National had no shot of this happening for them favorably. Um, it, it just, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, it, it didn't look good from them to begin with. And even on the inside, it, you know, they had people telling them, hey, this ain't gonna work. You know, we should really pull out. But unfortunately that didn't happen. And then the STB, which they even kind of signaled for a while that, yeah, this ain't going to happen, officially told them, yeah, it's not going to happen. So what'd they do? Uh, KCS went back knocking on the door to CP, or if you want to say they mutually agreed, hey, we're going to do this. And okay, you could go that way. Um, but now where they at, uh, as of yesterday, they officially filed to the STB about their, about their new merger. Um and they have I think it's in a 10 month review process now. Um and and personally I think this is gonna go through it. Um they looked favorably, the STB looked favorably on this the first time. So I don't I don't Mm -hmm. see that being a problem this time. And they still combined are gonna be the smallest um class one railroad. So it's it's you know, I I think I think it's a win uh for the customers that are gonna be serviced by CP and a KCS merger and uh I, th- I do think it's a win for the industry as well
0: that's uh that's a great observation there uh, the one thing that i that i they got to change the name cpkcs i'm just sorry that's just a real fan of me that name is terrible but besides all that just joking about it but the the merits of, of, of what you were talking about is is what i call it as as railroads as the railroads merge because this had the, the, the makings of a soap opera It was, I mean, it it was, it it, it looked like it was a good marriage. Like I'm old school. I watched, grew up watching uh, all my children. It was like Erica Kane and whoever it was, the numerous men in Pine Valley that she married, they were getting to the altar. And then all of a sudden a, a, a guy from the 1970s reappeared that everybody thought was died, died, and then came in and interrupted, came to interrupt the marriage. That's the role that the CM played in this entire thing. It was, it, it, it didn't make sense, it, it, it didn't make sense at all, just from a logistical and a regulatory standpoint, when you get down in the New Orleans area. The, the there was too much redundancy there between the KCS and the CN that's why it wasn't going to work that's why the regulators was not going to turn all that area over to the CN. That's why it was a bad play on the CN's part now granted the CN wanted to get to Mexico. To you know, kind of trump what the what what the CP was a, attempting to do, but it just did not make sense. It, it just it just didn't. CN did not need that. They already reached the Gulf Coast mm-hmm. via New the Orleans. They via their their acquisition with the IC. So it just it to me it just seemed like they were just more so trying to be a spoiler to CP's expansion, and it it was nothing more than it, that. We don't want them to have it, so we'll take it. Uh, we've I've seen that happen before in in, in basketball uh, recruiting where one school will recruit a recruit a, a player because they're bigger just so that the other school can't have them, and that was sort of kind of what this what the, it looks like the CM motivations were from the jump was it wasn't about it actually doing something beneficial it was just to keep the CP from getting it. and as as a result of that there's starting to be a proxy fight think it's going to be a lot of big shake up at the CPB at the CN because this was misguided and it just it just never never really saw the light it was going to see the light of day so you know with that being said I it just don't seem like that that was going to ever work so the give it to the STB they did their job to, to quality it was a lot of opposition in uh in, in Congress and you know uh Congress uh people and They shut it down. And then I I, I think this will have a good chance of getting approved the way it's set up the way that the the synergies that will be created. I think, I think this will go and continue to be uh, at some point be approved within the next 10 months. Yeah,
1: I agree, man. And, um, you know, you know, you're really dating yourself with the uh, analogy you use. <laughs> That's good, man. Uh, I, I have no problem with that, man. And those 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 analogies are appreciated. You should.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Roger that. I appreciate that. I'm just glad somebody else know what I was what the heck I was talking about. <laughs> All right, so we'll move on to topic number two: expansion of the Amtrak Inner city network. With the possible Nashville hub to link Chicago to Atlanta, what are your thoughts on that, my brother?
1: You know, I think uh, I think this would be a great victory for Amtrak if they can um, they can get some corridors. Um, I know um, I know there's been a lot of talk of Atlanta to like like Atlanta to Charlotte or you know North Carolina to um, Georgia and a few others, and I, I just. This would be a great victory, not just for Amtrak, but but the people that ride in between certain certain cities and right now don't have many options. Um, You look at you look at um, what's a good location where people uh, don't have many options. You like I want to say like down in Texas, like between Texas and Louisiana, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just you either drive, you either take the bus. Or uh, or you fly, um, and I and I think it's and I think it's you know beyond time that you know money came into Amtrak for expansion. Um, you look at ambitious projects like um, like the the bullet train for Texas. Uh, eventually, supposed to go from Dallas Fort Worth to Houston, take a five hour drive and make it what two and a half three hours. Um, that, that's an ambitious project, and I think it's beyond time we started thinking outside the box or at least started thinking about the future of, of rail travel. Um, and so it's, it's, it's honestly beyond time and we, we really have to get more people um, in a position who, who are thinking of the future when it comes to, when it comes to rail expansion on corridors that might, that don't even exist right now. Your your biggest problem infrastructure wise at least is, you got to deal with the freight railroads, um, off, off, off the northeast corridor, of course, and um, and that and, that's, and working out deals with them. But if anything, Virginia has showed you how to work with like CSX and, yep. and, and, the, and the like. So I think that's a I think that's a good blueprint to kind of look at as a starting point to uh, to start getting some of these corridors built, along with having the funding and, uh, sure. and some backing by by the people in DC, if you will. Yeah,
0: I, I totally agree. Those are very valid points. And that's uh, uh, the, the Virginia CSX partnership or uh, or sort of agreement. I, I think that's the framework that, that needs to be done because what uh, Virginia and, and CSX is, one thing that I'll say about what PSR has done for CSX in, in regards to helping passenger service is that what they've been doing is shedding a lot of their, their corridors that aren't and particularly freight heavy, but they would be very essential in moving people. And I and so when you look at that, uh, you, you're kind of giving state you, you're giving the states the ability to acquire capacity that's already there and upgraded. And so that's going to be crucial. Like if and uh, in in particular, I believe CSX and that's going to be crucial if uh, we ever want to get from Chicago to Nashville via train. Um, that's going to be very important. And, and Nashville is a growing area. And there and, and the cumber, the the, the 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 kind of disconjointed way that you have to go from Chicago to Atlanta via train, it, it doesn't make any sense. It, it makes no sense at all that that, that this that it's taking us to the the second decade in the 20th, 21st century to even figure out that the, these connections are are not. They, they aren't people friendly, uh, people mover friendly. They're not. It, it makes no sense that we don't have a direct train from Chicago to Atlanta or Chicago to Miami. You have to go Chicago to the East coast. then catch another train East coast back to Atlanta or go Chicago to New Orleans. Then backtrack. It, it should not be that difficult to catch a train from Chicago to Atlanta or Chicago to Miami or Chicago to Jacksonville. And when you get towards Texas, Texas is even worse because you have uh, numerous underserved areas. Like, and there's you you have you do have the Texas Eagle that operates down there. You have the Sunset Limited that operates down there. You have the uh, Heartland Flyer that operates down there. But it, in the grand scheme of things, those are daily services, once a day. Right. Texas has a huge population. We should, those markets should be being exposed. But because of the lack of investment in Amtrak over the past, now that they've made their 50th anniversary over the past 50 years, it's blatantly clear as to why our our national passenger network is is is, is, is kind of the laughingstock of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we're are we're, we're operating in a, in a mindset. We've been operating in a mindset of 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 the, basically pretty much the um uh, pretty much. How it was right after the airline industry took off. Yeah. We've had no, we've, we've had no major plans, uh, 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 policies, to actually drive this. You know, to, to drive our passenger service. It, it's it, it's kind of laughable, but I like what Amtrak is doing. Uh, the, the team that they do have in place, and I'm not just saying this because I work there, but the team that they do have in place, they are they are a good forward. Uh, uh, looking group of, of, of managers and 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 executives uh, that's looking to expand its network and expand it the right way, expand it in the areas that are underserved, expand it in the areas that are that need that connectivity because there's a lot of places still. I'll go back to the analogy again of we're in the second de- decade of the twenty first century, and there's a lot of places that's are disconnected from the rest of the country. Yeah. It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. We have the ability to do it. We just haven't done it, and I'm hoping that within within the next couple of years we can we can start making some headway because if we don't, uh, it, it'd be a one great lost opportunity, and it's gonna the, the citizens of America
1: are gonna suffer. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I look at my own state, Maryland, and the relationship they have with you know the Mark Commuter trains running on CSX tracks and, and things like that. And I'm like, it takes cooperation, like where they're gonna expand the Howard Street Tunnel, uh, dig under to make it, you know, be able to carry, to be able to carry um, uh, the, the piggybacks, uh, containers, you know what I mean? To, to correct the height issue to, that, that stops them from carrying, you know, more freight. Um, um, and, it's that the cooperation with the state to get better mark mark train schedules and more frequency of trains is, you know, you're going to have to invest in their infrastructure to get gauntlet tracks. If you want that, or to get higher platforms and things like that, uh, to, to, to run, to correct the crossover in Virginia, which is, you know, the eventual idea that they want to, that they want to test out. Um, because you can't VRE can't come into Maryland as far as servicing their stations because of, their equipment, their, their equipment is only for low platforms. So, but nonetheless, I, I say that to say that you have to have that cooperation from the state level that wants to buy in. So, okay, this is what I need. I need to work with CSX. I need to work with Norfolk Southern. Your freight part, those freight partners, you gotta really get them to buy in and you have to really come with them, come to them with an investment package. that's, that's worth that That's worth them listening to as well um so i mean that's just what it takes everybody not going to get what they want but if you want to if, if you want to do that on behalf of your pa- your pa- your um p- passengers in that in your state you know that's cre- that's crying that's screaming for this you know more service more trains that that sort of thing you have to be willing to invest in that railroads infrastructure um to to be able to you know I mean, money talks. I mean, we know that. Uh, that's uh,
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, correct.
1: Right. You know, and I mean, I know you can't throw money at everything, but I mean, you're going to have to invest in that infrastructure, you know, put, say, hey, man, put a side in here. We'll pay for that. Like, it is just you, you, you're going to have to cough up the money and, and the ideas to them for, for, for them to want to, you know, look at you, take you seriously. I mean, that's, right. that's just what it, you know, that's just what it is, man.
0: Right. No, agreed. That's no, that's a, that's a very, very excellent point. Um, but like I said, the, the big thing is going to be just moving forward. Is, is the execution of this because we have capacity. Uh, mm-hmm. Some areas needs more capacity, but you know, it, it can work. It can work, and I think this expansion is going to be crucial because I don't think people, for people in the transportation industry, we understand investment in transportation dollars creates all kinds of economic opportunities. We know this, but it's not sold that way. And it's always sold as a, as a, you know, America is the only country in the world that thinks that their passenger service has to make money in order for it to be viable. Mm-hmm. Everywhere else understands that it requires subsidy. And, yeah. and without going in too deep into that, we subsidize everything else except passenger service. All right. Everything else you have to break in America, you have to break even, you have to do this, you have to turn a profit, but everywhere else in the world, they've understood that the value that it brings is not captured in the, in the pocketbooks of the company, it's mm-hmm. captured in, a, in the pocketbooks of the communities that they serve. Yeah. And I think if we can shift that, that we, we need to shift that perspective from that or to that, to understand that the investment here follows a, a, or or allows for Uh, return on investment here and that needs to be sold and that needs to be and the people that's, that's putting up the fight, they know this, but we do a terrible job of messaging and that's why for the last 50 years, they've been able to get away with this. But hopefully, hopefully, I'm hopeful that we'll get that. We'll get that. uh, That part of the, the, the argument, you know, uh, maybe be able to get that argument out there that investment in once in one form of it returns it in a different form and make it make it simple so that that everybody I mean most people see it but we got to counter we have to counteract a lot of this uh, a, a lot of the negative press because uh the people that speak the loudest ain't always right but they damn sure get the camera time yeah, and like so you know that's you know that's that's just the one thing that we got to fight but I know we stay on this topic a little bit longer but uh hey it is it's our show so the hell with it we can do
1: that <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep our we can keep our fingers crossed you know
0: yeah I mean? so we'll see what happens so let's go let's move on to the next topic because it also uh kind of uh touches on what you were just talking about like the expansion to get uh double stacks to be able to finally get in and out of the port of baltimore mm-hmm. i'll just give you a caveat from when i worked at uh 59th street here in chicago at uh with the csx we used to build a baltimore train every day and the funny thing about the Baltimore section of this train, it was all low levels. It was never double stacked. And so you're literally halving your capabilities of moving containers in and out of this, uh, out of in and out of ba- the port of Baltimore. Very, very good, very beautiful facility, but the access is terrible because you couldn't, uh, you couldn't get double stacked containers in and out of there. So we'll go. So topic number three we'll be hitting on now will be the supply chain wo- uh, woes that we've been seeing since, um, basically for going on almost two years now, because this started to rear its ugly head at the beginning of the pandemic, and it has not eased at all. So, wo- so topic number three, we'll start with the supply chain uh, woes and the impact it has had on the railroads. Uh, what are your thoughts
1: on that? You know, uh, California, you know, you ask yourself, how can California mess up, <laughs> That's a mess up, uh, mess up the supply chain a little bit. But I mean, when you look at the, when you look at the amount of cargo ships that are stuck out there or trying to get in port, and then you tie that off with, okay, the, are, are, there, are there enough employees to get the, to get this stuff off the ships and, or get stuff on the ships? It's it's amazing, but people people think, oh man, it's it, it it doesn't affect the railroad. Well, yeah, it does. It's it's a big trickle down effect. Fact it affects the railroad, it impacts the railroad. I, I
0: would call it more of a waterfall effect than a trickle down. <laughs>
1: okay, yeah, yeah. See, I was you know, I was trying to, you know, a little benefit of the doubt in there a little bit, but uh, yeah, you could definitely <laughs> you could definitely go that way with it. Um, but the way, you know. One of the ways you you may not a lot of people may not think of is the impact of railroad is. You may you may see a long um, and a train with <laughs> with nothing on it, you know, because it wasn't you know because that window was tight um, mm-hmm. to get to get those um, what's it called loaded on a loaded on the trains um, and then shipped to you know places like Chicago or um, I think CFX now has a, fa- a facility. Um, down in the South, I'm, I'm, I'm flubbing on it right now. So forgive me. Um, but I mean, you, I mean, everybody's feeling it. Um, you look at the stores and you can't find what you're looking for or you're paying more because the supply is low because again, the ship, the ship with your stuff is sitting, sitting, uh, sitting just off the, um, sitting off just the West coast a little bit. So it's, you know, the, I mean, it's it, it sucks and there's no one answer um there's no one answer for it there's you know um because again it, it's several things that go into the problem um i i just i scratch my head sometimes too like how do we you know how do we get this squared away um but again i i end up just drawing scrolls um and if you let the uh, american association of railroads tell it um volume is still up on a railroad as far as cars and um, uh, the ordering of uh, cars and things like that. But um, they don't talk much about how, you know, what the issue, not not necessarily what the issue is, but just how do we solve it? Um, I, I don't, I, I again, I don't know how you, you know, how you, how, you, how you really deal with it. How you, you know, ease this congestion. Bruh, um, maybe uh, I, I will say this and I not mean to cut you off, man. No, you good. Go I'll say this. The only other thing I could think of. And, you know, again, I'm no, I'm no expert on ships and barges and where they can load and unload and everything like that. Even though I have been, a few, I've been in a few ports to see and understand it a little bit. But maybe... I don't know, maybe something like opening up other ports and facilities. And I know that can't be done as fast as I am saying it. But I'm just saying if we're facing this problem now, maybe a way of in the future of easing it is just maybe we open, you know, other ports, you know, so that ships can unload containers um, quicker or just ease the burden off of, let's say, ports in California, if that makes sense, man. Chris,
0: it's several things I, 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 I want to touch on that you you kind of brought up. First off, California, ports of L.A., ports of Los Angeles. They aren't the problem. They are just, a, a, they aren't the problem. The problem is, is you don't have enough truck drivers. Our facilities aren't designed to move uh, the amount of, of volume that we're seeing. Let's let's just be honest. The ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach are huge mm-hmm. and they still aren't designed to handle this amount of traffic. You, you couple that with a labor shortage. You couple that with uh, 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 you couple that with the with the ability to freely move freight. I was just watching a, a news story and they're talking about how bad the air quality is in the Long Beach and Los Angeles area with all of the idling ships, all of the idling trucks. And all of the uh, and one thing that shocked me, which which I'll be honest to God, I did not know this until I heard about uh, the uh, Biden administration talking about they were extending the, the port hours in Los Angeles, and I was like, "Come again?" I I said this, so we don't run these ports twenty four seven, and I it, it it absolutely blew my mind that. With all of this, all of this traffic going on, we're gonna go over on this subject. <laughs> but with all of this, all of this traffic, and all of this congestion, that we're not running twenty four hours, and I, I, it it, 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 I'm just like, well, that's a problem, and it's, it, it's a couple uh, things, uh, a couple other points I want to make. When you talk about the investment in the ports and opening up new avenues. This port, the, the, the tunnel expansion at the Port of Baltimore has been in the works for guess how long? At least 20 to 25 years, at least. That's just going back from when I was working, uh, working at 59th Street and we built the Baltimore train. And that was back in the year 2001. So that issue was already known. So here it is, 2021. And like I said, I'm, I'm not I'm not claiming to be the one that identified the problem. Everybody knew that this has been a problem with Baltimore, but here it is, 2021. We still don't have this done. And then you look at and then you look at like say you look at, at Long Beach, LA. A lot of that traffic, in order to even get on the trains, that's not happening dark side. They have to take the, they have to truck it from the from the ports to uh, different uh, intermodal facilities within the Los Angeles Basin area. So it's not even dockside dropping, you know? And so to me, it's like, why are we, why are our systems set up this way? We're set up for failure. And then on top of that, even when you look at, uh, when you look at at, at the, the fact that we truck so much stuff just to get onto the trains, when you look at that, you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. You got trains that go right into the, but then it, it, it just, it, it just absolutely just, looks like you look at the systems that's are, that are in place the infrastructure that's in place at some point there has to be a, a giant a, a, a big plan put together to make this work seamlessly it's not in place it's not in place at all we are not we every process is cumbersome you got to wait on the ship to get in. When the ship gets in, then you got to wait on the drop it. Then you got to find a the container. Then you got to, then you got to truck the container to go put it on rail. Then the rail got to load it on. That is a cumbersome process. We got to start thinking outside of the box in this. Because I I don't know how many people are in the transport. You've seen the studies. They've always talked about in the year 2040 or the year 2050, we're going to have ex, ex exponential amount of container uh traffic and growth well what we're witnessing right now is that study that forecast coming to fruition and we've been knowing this i'm trying to one study i believe came out was probably the early 2000s then they revised it in 2010 it's like the we've known this is coming but we've been sitting on our hands and have not done anything anything remotely closely to being able to handle this traffic so we are, nobody knew what was going to be the, the, the genesis of spur this boom. We had no idea that the e-commerce was going to jump as a result of this pandemic. But what we did know was that something was going to spur it. And we knew that this, this, this amount of volume was going to be coming. It's been forecast. it's been predict, predicted, it's coming to fruition. So what are we going to do about it? We can't go, we can't go the traditional ways of trying to solve stuff. I even I, I came up with a concept. I don't know if I want to put it out there because somebody gonna steal my idea, and I'm gonna be highly pissed if they do. But the thing is, is like it's like get this stuff and move it, move it out of L.A., get it on the train, move it out of L.A., and then sort it out out of there. That way, uh, the the throughput in L.A. and, and, and Long Beach can keep moving. Low, we should have we should have twelve thousand foot double stack trains waiting. Drop them containers. Get them on there. Get them the hell out of there, and we can keep it moving. We can keep cycling because what it's also doing is damaging our exports. We got, we got, we, we got containers because it's a very tight uh, supply uh, market where the inbound containers have to be reloaded for outbound exports. So we're killing our own exports operating this way. So what are we gonna do? We gotta think. We gotta think different. Like this isn't the 1980s and 1990s double stack volumes. It's not. And it's not going in, it's not going away. It, 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 we, we gonna mess around, we gonna have ships lined up from Shanghai, from, from LA to Shanghai. They ain't going to even leave the ports in Shanghai and then guess what that does? It drags down, it drags down everybody else's throughput which in turn reduces our supply. Which in turn raises prices on everything. You know, uh, be proud of the pandemic. I think it was something like maybe thirteen or fourteen hundred dollars to move a container from China to L.A. That cost is going up to twenty one thousand dollars a container or more for a spot rate. When you add that, who do you think is paying for that that twenty that 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 almost I can't even, almost twenty fold increase? And container uh, and, and shipping costs, the consumers are—we're paying for that. So when you look at all, when you're looking at all this, everybody's like, holding oh, inflation, inflation, inflation. Yeah, inflation is being highly uh, spurned by the shipping rates. The 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 uh, the, the consumer, the, the consumer, the customers are paying for that. The manufacturers and the and the, the wholesalers—they're not—they're going to pass that straight on us, and that's what they've done. That's why the cost of uh, the, the cost of, uh, of electronics has gone up tremendously. That's why the cost of everything that we import has gone up so much, and we import everything. Required. Equipment. This is a history lesson. People always want to talk about uh, the trade imbalance. America has always historically been a trade. Def- has always been a trade deficit from the the start of the, of the goddamn country. America has always consumed more than they can produce. That's historical. So people always, all oh, the trade deficit. China China just giving us what we need. Just to, just to simplify, now I know it's a lot of other, you know, it could get a, a whole lot more nuance, but the people are supplying what America needs. They always have. We've never been able to produce everything that we need to consume. Never. I said this goes back to the 1700s. We've always, we've always been important, whether it was spices from China, whether it was, you know, silk or whatever, whether it was uh, you know, different uh, agricultural items from Spain, whether it was what it was, you know, different things. From, we've always been an importer. We have. You can't, you can't, we can't onshore all of that. So if we know we can't onshore, we dang sure better be able to handle it when it's coming in. So... That's, that's my take on the supply chain rules. I could talk about this for a whole nother, uh, whole nother
1: two hours, but I digress. We'll move on. <laughs> it's not, hey, it sounds like it. And thanks for taking us to school, man. <laughs> no problem, man. But so,
0: well, I guess going on to the next topic is probably going to be pretty good because now we're going to talk about some of the supply chain solutions we can have. So with all that stuff we just talked about, what are your take on, on, on the supply chain solutions that we can have? Like, you know, just some of the stuff I just laid out. What is what is your response? What are your thoughts on some of the things that I kind of mentioned there in my, uh, what I call
1: my, my my supply chain rant? Hey man, I was, uh, I was waiting for you to put up a little whiteboard and- you know, <laughs> Get my Katie look. Porter on. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you said something that I, I don't think a lot of people, you know, unless you're in a trade really, really understood from a basic level is that we import so much. And and everybody ask the question, like, what do we export? Like, you know, um, but that's not the question it is. And, and like you said, I I think you hit the nail on the head. Honestly, man, when you talk about if we're going to be the biggest importers, then we need to be prepared for that. And, and I and I just think and and the whole infrastructure will be coming up soon uh, and things like that when we uh, start discussing that. But I, I just you know I you know it's, it's, it makes you scratch your head because you're just like how is nobody thinking of uh, of solutions to these problems that just seems so out of date. You know what I mean? Like if you you know at a top, at, a high, at the highest level that we're lacking, we're, we're, we're the biggest consumer in imports. Um, why have we not had expansion projects where we can, as fast as it come in, we can get it off and get new stuff on and and, and send that ship right back out. Like, how are we this behind? Um, for a country that we call the greatest nation in the world, how are we so, you know, it just seems like out of date, man, like with, with, with how we do things with how we get things done, man. And, and, and I mean, I know that's not a solution, but I mean, I'm just, it just, yo, it, it just makes your head explode, man. Like how, how do we get here? You know, without nobody. And I mean, we have all the models that tell us, you know, Hey, you're going to need this. You're going to have around this time. And yet we still sit here, mm-hmm. you know, with, with our hands in our pockets, trying to figure out what just happened and I, right. and I and i and i just i just never understood that is it a, is it an info I, I have to throw the question back at you because i'm just like yo is it an infrastructure issue um you know you mentioned manpower we we know manpower is an issue but we also know that we have technology that kind of takes you know the manpower portion no, I, was go to,
0: I was gonna go I'm, I'm gonna go into that because that's that's a very good point
1: so it's just it's just we have the technology now to where certain parts of the manpower is not needed as much, where we can concentrate the manpower in an area that it's really needed on, you know. And so I, I just if you walk around some of the ports, you you see the um you you see the some of the some of the um the um, vehicles moving around by themselves. So I mean, it, it, I, I just I'm I'm dumbfounded as just a uh, how we actually can solve that um, issue of just getting, you know, and, and again, I'm starting to think maybe, you know, we need, again, maybe need more ports. That can, that could just take, that could just take on the extra burden, you know, off of, you know, some of the ports in, in, in California, um, you know, it, it just, maybe that's, maybe that's just one solution that will solve a lot of this. Um, again, it ain't gonna happen no time soon, of course, But I mean, I I hope that people who are paid to do this are already starting to think of that. Uh, that, Well, that's a good point. And, 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 uh, you you know,
0: well, let's talk about two things here. I'm gonna jot this down so I don't forget it. We talk about the manpower and we talk about additional ports. So I'm gonna touch on those two things. Let's start first. Let's let's first start with the with the additional ports because I believe in the last uh, last twenty years we've seen some major developments, in particular with the East Coast ports. You've seen uh, Savannah, you, Savannah, Georgia. You've seen Charleston. You've seen Wilmington, uh, North Carolina. You've seen uh, Norfolk, Virginia. You've seen uh, all of the the uh, the uh, Port Authority ports up in New York. Everybody has been expanding, which is good, which is good, which can help take some of that burden off of the West Coast ports of, you know, Portland, Long Beach, Oakland, SeaTac, Seattle, Tacomas, for who don't know the acronyms. Uh, We've seen those, and we've been seeing, we've actually seen uh, ports, even New Orleans, they've all offered to take on additional capacity where those ships can fit at. Because a lot of those ships sitting out there on the sitting out there on the uh, anchored outside of Port of Long Beach and Long, and, and, and uh, Los Angeles, they can't fit in some of these ports. Like in particular, New Orleans. New Orleans is a very hustling. I, I spent about this time last year. I was down there on the Mississippi River and was watching container ships. I mean, zoom up and down the Mississippi River, heading to that port. And the thing is, is that we do have the we do have the we have the ports, but we don't have quite the investment that we had that we need. Savannah has done a, a, a Savannah and uh, Charleston have done a tremendous job of expanding their ports. Matter of fact, I believe it was Savannah or uh, of uh, Charleston that just right as all of this stuff was going on, they opened up a whole new uh, ship to sh- uh, a whole new uh, port berth that they've increased their capacity to, you know, help take on this additional traffic, but guess what? All of these ports are congested too, just that quick. So when you look at, so when you start looking at the actual inlets of the, uh, the inbound shipments, okay, the ports are expanding, but they are reaching capacity pretty quickly too. So what's the solution to that? The solution to that is, how do we move it out of the ports to a, a distribution network where we can start getting on to where they need to be because trust me i don't you don't want to send a port that uh, let's let's just take an example you don't want to take a container that come into south care uh, come into south carolina that's destined to south carolina ending up in chicago or memphis just to sort it out however if you got a, a container coming in to south carolina that's destined for iowa why is that? Why is it piling around in South Carolina? Why don't we move that? Get get the get the stuff that's the stuff that needs to get out of there. Get it out of there. But the problem is, it's two things: it's the capacity, it's the operating, it's the operating practices of the railroads, boy, and then it's the driver shortages of trucking. So now you you couple all of that with with stuck containers. You know, I I, I keep I get the uh the JOC the Journal of uh I can't remember the exact name of it, but the JOC and they were talking about how they're raising the, the, the storage charges or the, 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 the tariffs on containers not moving within a certain amount of time. Well, how can you move the containers if you don't have truck drivers? So the, the companies are, so now guess what that does? It drives the cost of the shipping up. Guess what that does? It drives the price of consumer goods up again. So we're looking at all these, we're looking at all these issues. And they're, it's, they're piggybacking on top of each other because uh, uh, in a lot of these aspects of this stuff, we can't move. We literally cannot move all of this traffic. We literally don't have the manpower to do it. I had an interesting discussion on LinkedIn with the gentleman that works for the Union Pacific and in their intermodal uh, as I brought up a point about <clears throat> was the, were the railroads responsible for the, what was the railroad's role in the supply chain issues? And he brought up a couple points that I hadn't thought about. He said, look, we can only move a container so far. He said, but if there's no one to pick it up, if there's no warehouse to offload it to, if there's people at the warehouse that can't unload it, he said, everybody looks at us, but what are we supposed to do? Because speaking of the UP, they ended up, they had closed, shut down their their Global 3 facility in Rochelle, Illinois. It's been reopened. Norfolk Southern has reopened a, a terminal they had in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, they shuttered it, and I want to say 2019. They just reopened it to handle the additional container volume. So when you look at the railroad, the rail, it's not all the railroads' fault. This is a this is why I talk about it needs to be a network. It's a network issue. It's a logistics system issue. We can't look at we can't look at every aspect like we used to in the 1950s and 60s. Competition. Everybody has their own their role in moving these in moving these different products and in our supply chain. There's different links to it. So in order to make these links work, everything has to work together. It should be working together, but it's not. And it's a lot of that it has to do with the old school way of thinking. A lot of it has to do with um with just with, with once again, manpower issues, cost issues. So when you look at it, when you look at the at the big big picture of things this isn't a a, this isn't a one-stop you fix this and everything else works it's not that it's it's much more complicated but it's actually much more simpler let every uh, every every role every part of the transportation and logistics network they have something that there is their strength let them put them in a position to operate at their strengths railroads railroads strength is moving a lot of stuff long distances do that trucks uh trucks um their their strong point is last mile get it off the train or get it from get it for get it off the dock or whatever the last mile delivering it that last mile why can't we coordinate our system and our logistics and our infrastructure to let each one of those modes do what they do air air, air freight air freight is good for smaller parcels that that needs that's very time sensitive let everybody do what they do well. But we can't do that one because of our infrastructure. Even if you, even if you had the, the correct number of truck drivers needed, they're gonna sit in traffic in major metropolitan areas because we don't have the capacity to handle. Or we don't, or we don't have the ability to even uh, we haven't even thought of different ways to move traffic in certain areas. So even if you had the manpower, then you run into the you don't have the capacity to to move all of this traffic. So in those aspects of it, those where you say we need to generate solutions, I, I I totally agree. But we can't look we can't look at at what's going on now for the future uh, of our supply chain, our logistics network. You can't look at it the way you did ten years ago. Hell, even five years ago, you can't look at it the same way. So much stuff has changed. So much stuff has changed that we have to be thinking. And, and looking at new ways to do that. And how are we going to do that? I'll tell you how we're going to do that. The government's got to invest in. It. We just talked about the Port of Baltimore getting a double stack clearance. We talked about 20-some years as being. We got to expedite these product, these projects. There's no reason these projects should be sitting on a freaking whiteboard or, or sitting in a drawer or waiting on funding. We identified the problem. Let's provide the solution. Yes, yes, we got to look out for the environment, trust me, but the way that we bog down our own processes, this is why we're, this is, this is the the root cause of all of this, because capacity could have been added, money should have been invested in X, Y, and Z, but it hasn't been, and even when we look at these infrastructure bills, which will be our next topic after, uh, after the break, we keep getting in our own way of, of providing solutions, we're investing, in the, we're investing in the wrong areas. We're not, we're 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 literally we're literally codifying ourselves, cuddling ourselves and saying, oh well, well, we can't do anything. Why? Why can't we do anything? Is it that we're you're saying we can't do anything or you don't want to do anything because you don't think it's a concern? But when it when you look at everything, it should be everybody's concern. When my cost when it cost of, when the cost of milk then went up uh, in the last in, in the last year it probably went up two dollars that's a freaking problem and that's a problem not just for, for me that's a problem for everybody but when you don't but when you don't frame it that way then we're allowed to we allow certain things to continue to persist and then we don't we we never we never solve a problem we literally we'll come up with more problems for every problem every challenge there's a solution. It's just whether or not you're going, whether you're going to do it and put the effort in to do it. We can figure this out. We got smart people out here. You got two of them sitting right here doing this podcast. We can figure this out. But the fact of the matter is, is we are uh, too many times we're not, you know, we're not even looking at people. We're not even. We're looking at. We're not looking at the at what people can bring and, and the different insights that they have to solve these problems. Because I'm gonna tell you, it ain't gonna get no better unless we start doing the right things when it comes to. To this I and mean, then when you talk about the manpower look people don't want to go to work and this is not me I want people to have jobs but when people don't want to go to work and we have these issues and there's jobs open and we can't we can't get enough people to fill jobs to get stuff done y'all don't say nothing when it when this becomes our robot and these and we start having robots and automated stuff taking jobs because in the, in the real in the reality automation can kill more jobs than anything People don't talk about that, though. We, we, they don't want to talk about that. But this is ushering in a whole new a, a whole new wave of, of automation because we literally don't have the people to, 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 to take care of these things we need them to take care of, to function as a society. So that's my soliloquy on that. But yeah, those are the points, man. Those are the points. And
1: it's just, I mean, you got any other thoughts on it? Now, nah, man, again, man, you uh, you are way on top of that a lot more than I am. So, I mean, again, I, I learned from you on this topic, especially because, you know, you are, you know, your, your feet are definitely in the trenches with the solutions on this, man, because I, I rack my brain. I mean, I could figure a couple of things out, but I mean, your solutions to this man was, you know, when we talked about it months back, man, it was just like, yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I could definitely <laughs> think well. so. We got to, man. I mean, man, we got to, we we
0: got to think outside the box, man. We we in the 21st century. I'm still, mad. I ain't got my damn moving sidewalk shit. You know that? That was when I was growing up. Everybody was talking about we was gonna have moving sidewalks. Only time I see them is when I go through O'Hare Airport in Chicago, and I, I was supposed to have that. I was supposed to be able to hop on my sidewalk and go to go to CVS without getting in the yeah. car. And I. Still ain't got that, so I'm still upset about that. So, you know, we got. Salty. Well, yeah, I'm a little, little, a little salty about that because I ain't got my stuff yet. But you know <laughs> what I'm saying. So, look, the thing we got to we got to think bigger, man. We got to think bigger. A friend of mine was had we was having a conversation, and one thing that kept coming up was dream bigger. As Americans, we got to dream bigger, man. We we can't we we can't be con- content with just. Oh, we're the greatest country in the world. we we'll show it. We need to show it. And to and all these issues that we're talking about. We need to show it. We need to dream bigger. We need to get this stuff done. And I'm not just talking about catchwords and words. I mean, we need to actually get shovels in the ground, thought uh, um, decision makers in the room and figure this out. Because at the end of the day, when they when 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 uh, the, the decision makers are sitting there on their yachts and everything else and the country's burning down, uh yeah they gonna have some responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and and the the, the sad truth, the, the sad fact of the matter is is that we have some good we have some good we have good problem. Uh, I ain't gonna say problem solvers. We have good solution creators available. We just gotta access them. We just got we got we have got to do. We got to get out this out this rut. You can give me ten thousand reasons why we can't, but give me, uh, but give me one reason why we can. Yeah. So that's what we need to do: dream bigger and get this stuff done. Because I'm telling you, this is people worried about this Christmas. I had an episode, but last Christmas when we was, we were talking discussing this last uh, December, right before Christmas, and I was discussing the congestion at, at at the the port of Long Beach in Los Angeles and the ripple effect it was having in Chicago. Guess what? A year later, it's worse. So it's not, you know, what I'm saying it's not. This isn't just conjecture. This is. I actually bought this up before. We bought this up, and it's just simply we we, we can't we we can't keep we, we can't keep piddling around. These uh these problems are here. What are we gonna do to solve them? What are we gonna do to correct them? They're not gonna correct themselves. Period. Definitely not. Well. So, Well, that's our, I guess, our first section. I might have to take a break because I've been talking too dang much. Uh, (laughs) But we're going to take a break. We're going to take a short break here. Uh, We will be coming back with two more topics to wrap up the show. But uh, as of now, uh, let's take a break and uh, hear from our sponsors. Divergent Clear is sponsored by EME Rail Solutions LLC. We don't own rail cars, locomotives, or tracks, but if you do, we provide cutting-edge solutions to maximize your assets. Visit us at emerail.net to learn more. Divergent Clear is also brought to you by 3 Kings Freight Brokerage, LLC. Visit 3 Kings
1: Freight Brokerage, LLC.com to learn more about their services.
0: Well, this concludes part one of the bonus episode of the Divergent Clear Podcast. Me and Jermaine will drop part two of the bonus episode later this week, where we will break down the two infrastructure bills that seem to be sitting in purgatory up on Capitol Hill. And we will also close out the bonus episode by discussing the art and science of derailment investigations. Thank you again for tuning in to the Divergent Clear Podcast. Don't forget to click that subscribe and like button on YouTube. If you're listening to the audio version on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Anchor, or any, other, or any of the other platforms that you listen to your podcasts on, don't forget to subscribe to the Divergent Clear Podcast. You can also send comments or feedback to, to Divergent Clear podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Divergent One, Instagram at Divergent underscore clear underscore podcast and on Facebook. Gotta run. Have a good day. Stay safe out there. We'll talk to you soon.